Thank you so much, gentlemen, for singing. It's a blessing to me. It's, thank you for being here today. Would you please turn with me to Psalm Division 127? It's going to be our text. It's only five verses. And I'd like for you to stand and read it with me as, uh, or listen as we read together. This is the Word of God, and let's give it all our attention and reverence as we stand together as I read Psalm 127. Would you please stand with me, please? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Would you please be seated? Thank you so much. I want to talk to you today about hope for the home. Hope for the home. I don't think there's any greater time in history, nor has any place in the time of history been under such attack as the home today in America, even in our world. We do not have a pandemic problem. We do not have a political problem. We do not have a race problem. We do not have a financial problem. What we have is a home problem. There's no need to look for a good church if you're not willing to build a good home because that's what good churches are made of. I wanted to talk to you about that today, and I want God to help me. I don't know if there's any verses that fit that per se, but I can tell you from Psalms 127, don't you see the authority there? Except the Lord do it, it won't get done. The hope is that the Lord will do it. And the Lord is doing it. So in spite of the calamity and the chaos that the home's under, there is much, much hope for the home. And we're right in the middle of it because God is. And you know, uh, there's something about a woman. There's something about a, a woman in a home and about a home. There's such a nurturing gift and, and motivation a woman has. Homes can, can be under attack, even devastated. I remember a few years ago, there was a little bluebird. It had a nest in a bluebird box in my yard. And the nest was attached to a utility pole. And I walked out one day just in time to see a cat coming down from that. A cat that had timely destroyed that little bluebird's nest. I never will forget, though, that little bluebird fluttering around. It could not do anything about the destruction of her home. But I remember, too, 
even more profoundly, she didn't quit. She built her another nest. She kept working at it. Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house. And I believe that's the kind of women you are. So if I talk about building the home, it's talking about building the woman. Because the woman builds the home when God builds the woman. So I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Would you pray with me that we do that together? Why is there hope for the home? I mean, when you think about the world, we've got to be honest now with everybody else. I mean, when you think about it, I'm talking about the Christian home. Most of us would have to agree our homes are not what they ought to be. They're not. Do not sit there or do not think about some couple you know or some home you know or some marriage you know and say, well, you know, that is just perfect. They've got it all made. I'm going to tell you, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. The fact is there's no perfect homes. There's not. But it's something that God has called us to work on. And the woman, the mother, is the very heart of the home. And it applies whether you're single or married or whether you have natural children or not. So I want to try to say three things in a few minutes we have together. There is hope for the home, number one, because sinners live in the home. That's the first thing we got to deal with. We got to understand that this place called the home is not a perfect, sinless place. Parents fail, they fail each other, they fail their children, and children fail their parents. But there's hope. Because Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to set the concourse for a a home where God is sought and honored. Notice from our text, the, the writer obviously is talking about the temple of God, maybe Solomon's that he built. But you know, when you think about that, and he's concerned about the home, He's concerned about the home because of the Assyrians and others that's going to attack the temple. But you can bring that to your level of your home. We are concerned about our home. Every woman is concerned about her home, about her children. About her husband, if she has one. About her life, because it's centered in the home. So Solomon here is is making this point. He said, look, if if God doesn't do it, it doesn't matter how many people you got on the wall watching after it. He's reminding us that our homes are not invincible. Now the Jews thought that Jerusalem was. They thought just because the mountains surrounded it and the hills that it was safe. Little did he know 
Little did even Solomon know who God blessed to build the temple that by his very actions, he would desecrate the very temple of God. I tell you, we don't realize how vulnerable we are. For God given us the ability and strength to keep our homes. You know, a few weeks ago, I had a, just a routine dental cleansing visit, whatever you call it, exam. And so when the cleaning was over, they did x-rays and the dentist came in and he said, you know, Randy, he said, you got a, you got a, a problem here in this lower jaw tooth. Said you need to you need to take that tooth out and said I don't think a crown's going to work. You're going to have to have an implant. I said, man, what are you talking about? It doesn't bother me. I mean, it's hard to to deal with something that's not bothering you. Okay. See, the X-ray showed something I couldn't see. So I said, I said to Penny, I said, I'm going to get a second opinion. So I go down to Savannah, doctor, I've got a lot of confidence in. He, he deals with uh, teeth surgery, tooth surgery. So he put me around them wraparound x-ray machines and it went around right my head and he come back and he set me in his chair and he said, look here. He said, your doctor was exactly right. You got a problem. I said, why do you say I got a problem? I don't have a problem. It don't hurt. He said, you give it three or four weeks. Three or four weeks to the day, I was sitting at my table. Three days before my family and I were going to Callaway Garden for a little vacation, I bit down on a sweet potato or something and my tooth started hurting. What I'm telling you that for is, you might think your home is invincible. You might think your mom and daddy or your great daddy or whatever, you might think just because you go to church every Sunday. <laughs> You might think that everything's working all right, but you listen to God's x-rays. You get a second opinion. You read God's word. It will give you the first opinion because this book is about truth. It tells a woman how to live and a man how to love his wife, how to raise a child. It deals with homes. And you get a second opinion because when you read the word of God and you get a convicted in your heart, you let it go. You go right to God with that because that's the second opinion that you and I are guilty and don't be ashamed to be guilty. You won't ever heal till you hurt. You won't ever get to the point of having hope till you understand you're a sinner. Now this business, this world we're living in, the reason the home's in such a trouble is because sin is kind of vanished from the vocabulary. You start calling it sin sickness, you'll never get any help. I hear people say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this, I'm just mentally ill, I got a sickness. There's no cure for mental illness that I know of. There is a cure for sin. His name is Jesus. I had a good friend of mine, a guy I know, he said, you know what, he said, my problem says my weakness is women. <laughs> I said, no, your weakness is not women. You are in bondage to sin. That's what your problem is. You're committing adultery. <laughs> Don't tell me your problem is sick. Now, you know, people say, well, I'm sick. I'm just sick. No, you're a sinner. 
<laughs> I know, I heard that fits, ain't that something to talk about on Mother's Day? <laughs> That's the only hope we're going to have. I'm going to tell you, friends, Jesus came to save sinners. And every mama and every daddy and every child and everybody in a home, if we don't understand we're living with sinners, we're living in, in non-knowledge. We're living fake. We need to appreciate God. We need to thank him for saving us from our sin. So that's the thing we need to understand, that we're all sinners. First John, you don't have to believe me. You never believe the preacher if that's not what God says. I'm going to just tell you what God says. First John 1, verse uh, 8 through 10. That's what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I didn't think I had a problem with it too. But something that could see deeper than me say, yep, you got it. And you know today what's going on in your home. Okay? He says there, if we confess our sins, now that's the remedy. That's our hope. He is faithful, God is, to just and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we call him a liar and his word is not in us. Wouldn't that be a predicament? So there's hope for the home because we are living with sinners. There's sinners in every home. Secondly, though, and here's where the hope is, my second point is there's hope for the home because even though sinners live in the home, the Savior does too. Jesus. Did you know Jesus lives in your home? If you're a child of God, he lives in your heart. He tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go home with you. He tells a man that he healed miraculously. He said, I'm going to tell you what, you go home and tell those, your friends, what great things the Lord has done for you. If you can't be a man or woman of God in your home, then it's far be it, you're nothing. The hardest woman to preach with that I've ever had to preach to is my wife. That's because she knows me so much, so well. But I want to say this. I want to just say it as loud as I can. The Savior lives in your home. So therefore there's hope. Jesus can do anything. He can make a dysfunctional home function. <laughs> and he does that because he gives an order to it. The problem is we don't like his order sometimes. We've sold out to our culture. We've called in sin sickness, so therefore, we're not really responsible for it. We're calling a woman that's submissive to her husband, our kid. Men don't wear any pants anymore because they're afraid to lead their women as they ought to, that God has called us to. I'll tell you, when the pioneers settled this land, they settled it with two things, a broad axe and a King James Bible. That's how they built their homes. Now we build our homes on all kind of ball games and, and all kind of entertainment. 
No telling what we let in our home on our TVs. I'm going to tell you Solomon was concerned about the temple. He says, let the Lord keep it, except the Lord keep it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means that they were laboring, they were watching, they were working. So the Savior lives there too. Now, if the Savior lives there, this is what he said. This is why the hope in the, in the home. Now, if you don't want to do it, there, there's no hope. You got to know that. Jesus says, if you obey my commandment in Matthew 7 and you hear my words and you do them, says you like a wise person that builds your house upon a rock. <laughs> now, if you just want to know what Jesus says about a home, about life, then you just go ahead and do it. And your house will be destroyed because he said it's going to be built on sand. And when the rains come and the storms come, it's going to blow away. And be sure they're coming. They are. But when Jesus is there, all things are possible. You know what he says about the home? He gives an order to it. You know, the foundation of the home is under attack. But you know what a foundation is defined as? It's an order of things. The reason our foundation of our homes is being destroyed is we're in the wrong order. When it comes to home life, sometimes we don't know which is up. Here, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. You got time? Jesus does. I suppose we need to look at God's word more than we do. Instead of wondering about where we're going. I'm, gonna, I'm talking about mothers, but, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm talking to myself, you guys, if you want to show your children that you love your mother, their mother, you'd be a good husband to them. He says in Ephesians 5, this is Jesus' order. He looks at marriage. See, marriage is the the center covenant of God's organization. The home is an organization, okay? God created it before he did the church. An organization has a manager. The man is the manager. The woman is the helper. Don't tell me that that makes the woman look weaker. It does not. Here's what Jesus says. Wives, in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The wives are like the church. That means you be submissive to your husband as unto the Lord. Now see, God created women to be a man's helper. Even though she sinned first, and that's why men are to have the authority to be the manager. Now, I, might, I, I tell you, I've been around women in my life that can preach circles around me. But I have yet to find any scripture that validates a woman to preach the word of God. Not because they can't do it, but because it's the role or the order that God has given. A woman is supposed to be submissive. She's supposed to be, that's her role. For verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. 
So God's in the homes. If God is in the home, if we have a Savior in our home, then there's hope. But it just doesn't come by default. Now, you're talking about a woman. I'm going to tell you this. I, I crawl in the bed with a woman every night that's smarter than me. You hear me? I'm talking about that woman there. She's a math major, whatever. I, I, I make that. I, 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 that that's helps me. When I have something to deal with in our home, I always run it by my wife. I'm responsible for it, but I'm going to tell you what. I'll say, Penny, what do you think about this? And if she doesn't like it, I have a red flag go up. You hear me? You have influence, women. That's what we're going to tell you. We met some folks the other day. This lady, friend of ours, going off on a trip with a man. She's single, his single. I just, since I knew her, I just said in passing in Penny's presence, I said, well, listen, said, now, if you decide to get married, let me know. I'll be glad to do it. So you're not married. Things are out of order. I'm going to tell you this, if, if that lady or anybody lady is living in that arrangement, if you, if you just cut that guy off, he'll ask you to marry he loves you. I guarantee you. See, being submissive to your man is, is in the Lord. Not because some, what some guy wants you to do. You hear me? And so, so God says that. Now, women, and, and, and it's like this, and husbands love your wives. Look, look at verse 28. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's how we're to love our wives. I mean, if you want to put that in a nutshell, it's this. As a mother and as a wife, if you're a wife, do you love your husband enough to live for him? And guys, do you love your wife enough to die for her? Because if you don't, you're out of order. If you do, if you do, then, then you, are, you have hope. There's hope for everyone, no matter what's happened. It's like, a, it's like a, don't tell me, you know, what, if I've got to be a submissive woman, then, I, then, then it's going to be, I'm nothing. No, you, you take a train on a track, that has freedom to go. A train off a track won't get nowhere. Homes won't get anywhere because they're off the track. I can tell you what, I can sit on over this piano, and you want to talk about making a mess of it? I could do it. But old Kai gets on there, what happens? It's beautiful. Why? Because he knows the keys. We have hope in the home because we have the keys. We have a book. God gave us a manufacturer's handbook. And sometimes God has to slap enough sense at us that we're going to really look at God's word and say, you know what? This is what I need. It might come after a divorce. It might come after a this, that, and the other, but it's going to come. There's hope, though, because the Savior is there. And Jesus says, this is, I'll draw all men to me. He said, he that cometh to me, I'll no wise cast out. You make up your mind today to follow Jesus. If you want the hope for your home or anything you're in for, you follow him. 
And if you're single, you work on being the right kind of woman or the right kind of man and God will put it all together. Don't get out there and try to say, I gotta have a relationship. Dial up some sort of dating uh, website. By the way, I'm just addressing the singles and uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, you might have the gift to be single. I'm going to show you how you can find that out. If, you, if you're here today that's single, you don't have to get up here and try to let the world whip you around and say, I've got to have somebody. Most of the time we get in a mess like that. If you're single, if you have a gift of singles, it's a great gift. God says that. Here's how to know. In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 7, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. In verse 7 he says, For I would that all men would, even as myself, Paul was single, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after his manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But, in verse 9, if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now he's not talking about burning in hell, he's talking about burning with desire. If you have the physical sexual desire God's given you for the, the point of that, then you seek to be married. You don't have to get out here and try to try it out. It works. You don't have to try it out. Okay? You follow God's way. If you want your home built right, now if you're going to just build it on your feelings and some relationship, that's why our homes are such a mess and why so many homes don't have daddies. But I'll tell you, when it's done right, we can honor God. I know what you're thinking. Marriage is a covenant. It's what God says. Even, I tell you, there's hope for a home. Even if you're a couple and you say to each other, I don't love you anymore. I want you to know because Jesus lives in the home of the believer, Jesus loved us before we loved him. Isn't that amazing? And he's shaping us to unconditional love. That's the kind of love he exemplifies. And he initiates it. You say, how in the world can I control a woman? You love her. A loved woman is a woman that's in control. We need to love our mothers. I just want to say this. Last point I want to make. What have I tried to say? We see from this Psalm 127, it's about building a house. It's about understanding that if it's going to be built, God's going to have to do it. I remember reading a story somewhere or hearing one about this couple that visited their mother-in-law, the guy's mother-in-law. They had a young baby, and the baby was crying. And they were sitting over there in the corner reading a Dr. Spock book about how to keep the baby from crying. And the wise, godly mother, the mother-in-law, gets up and goes in there and says, look here, put down the book and pick up the baby and hold it. And my friends, we're at a time, we need to put down the book. We need to put down philosophy. 
We need to put down what people say. You need to pick up that baby and hold it and love it. Because that's where there's hope in the home. When we admit that we're sinners, when we understand we have a remedy and a guidebook called the Bible, and that we're dependent on God totally, there's hope for any home. But my last point is this. Sinners live in homes first. Got to know that. If there's going to be any hope, you got to recognize that. I got to recognize that I'm a sinner. I don't come up to this pulpit without knowing that I'm a sinner. You got it? And I don't understand, I, and we understand that has to be confessed, and God give you grace to do it. You deal with it. Don't ignore the problems in your homes. Because one day you're going to have a toothache. You're going to have a homemade, and there's nothing that hurts any worse than homemade pain. And it's right in the home. Because that's where the heart of everything is. And so God is saying, I want to build it. Let me do it. And your children are extensions of yourself. They're not sticks, they're arrows. He says they're to be be sharpened and directed toward God. The Savior lives at home. And lastly, and I'll be quick as I can, solving problems is possible. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is so filled with hope. It says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, if that's not a hopeful verse, I don't know what is. What it means is, you don't think that when you don't have to deal with this problem. You don't know what it's like, preacher. God does. You're not dealing with anything unique. Whether it's drugs or, or, or transgender or, or lesbians and gays, whatever it is. Sin is still sin. It's never changed, but God never has either. So we understand that, that's, that it's possible. Solving problems is possible. But referring back to marriage, you can't get around that. When you think about marriage and motherhood, they go together. But you know, you're talking about compatibility. I have no, no confidence in compatibility. You, know, you get on these dating games and you find out, I ain't never been on, don't get me wrong. You know, what do you like? And they make, they make a hill of beans. You know, I like to play golf, or I like cows, or I like to play, go to the pool, or whatever. Find somebody like that. No, you find somebody that loves Jesus. <laughs> you find somebody that loves the Lord. There's two things that require for biblical compatibility. And communication is so important if there's going to be hope in the family. Number one is... That we are with somebody or want to be that is able 
to sit down and face a problem and try to solve it God's way. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you can't do that with that person, do not marry them. (laughs) See, problems are real. But hope is understanding that we do have a problem, but God has given us a solution to the problem. May the Lord help us to see that and bless it, to rejoice in that prayerfully and put ourselves in a position for God to use us to be witnesses of his amazing grace in our hearts. Would you bow with me? Dear precious Heavenly Father, there's so much to be said regarding the home, but Lord, nothing any better than knowing that there's hope You are the God of all hope. And when you come into our lives and to our homes, we bring hope into your church, into the world, to our workplace. We can tell, oh Lord, what kind of home somebody comes from just by the gleam in their eye. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for your design of the home and and how you use women, oh God to nurture and bless this whole wide world. Lord, you knew what we needed. The greatest problem we all have is sin, and and you solved it by bringing a baby into the world, the little Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to love him so. Help us, oh Lord, to pick up that baby and love it. The world is crying out, Lord, for all kind of remedies and we're so educated and there's so many resources. But, oh God, you're the key. The only music that's going to sound right is when we play it in the right key. Thank you for our mothers. They're as close as they'll ever come to having anybody exemplify what you did for us on the cross. Bearing the pain they have to bear in childbirth. Dealing with little children that step on their toes, but later, when they step on their hearts, still a momming, still a nurturing. Thank you, Lord. Bless these women. Bless mothers. Whether they have natural children or not, they're nurturers. We thank God for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.